one thing that many things changed for Joshua and the people of Israel, but the one thing that didn't change was the presence of God. As God's presence had led Moses and the nation, now Joshua as well was telling the people. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 11, if you've got your Bibles there, I'd love for you to turn that. He said, Joshua says, look, the ark of the covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. So here he's saying that God's presence was the thing that was going to lead them into the promise, not the ghost of Moses, not Joshua's skill or ability as the leader of the nation, but God's presence. And that's our same prayer, I believe, for our church here. I hope you see that. We will consistently and in terms of legacy forever be led by God's presence. That's my prayer. I mean, sometimes it's, it's difficult for people around me because they might go, Mark, just make a decision. You're supposed to be in charge. And I'm going, no, I'm waiting for God's presence. Because when that moves to the left, we're going to the left. When God's presence moves to the right, we're going to the right. When God's presence said pause, well, we're going to pause. When God's presence says, hey, charge ahead, well, then we're going to charge ahead. Yet, Imagine this scenario, Joshua chapter 3, verse 7, says here, the Lord told Joshua. I mean, I love that thought. God told Joshua. I'd love it if every Monday morning um, <laughs> God said to me, um, I want to tell you something. Um, this is what you've got to do for the week. This is, this is how you're going to go for the week. These are the problems you've got to solve for the week. This is what I want you to do for the week. But it doesn't work like that. Maybe it does in your house, I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm constantly saying, God, just tell me. Just I'm trying to tune my ear to the Holy Spirit. Well, right here in verse 7, um, the Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. And yet God tells Joshua that. And then a few verses later, we hear Joshua saying, hey, God's presence is going to lead us. I mean, that sounds like a bit of a contradiction, right? One minute God's saying, Joshua, you're the leader. And then in the next few verses, um, Joshua saying, God's presence is going to lead us. I mean, we could call this the perspective of paradox, I always like to come up with a few words that have the fame letter at the start. What do we call that? Alliteration. Alliteration. Thank you, school teacher <laughs> Jessica. I appreciate that. But I knew someone here is smarter than me. Um, so my first point is really this idea of this new perspective, new land, is what, what, um, that they often when we do these new things, and God is the God of the new, there's often a perspective that's a paradox. Things that look one thing but are actually another or other things that seem upside down when then they should be upside right. Are you completely confused? Well, let me explain. I, I knew I was, I'm here for a job this morning. I'm here to unravel this for you. See, 
Moses had the same perfect um, perspective as then Joshua did. He was, Moses was completely focused on the glory of God. See, the Holy Spirit um, begins to exalt Joshua in his leadership amongst the people of Israel, just as God had also done with Moses. God elevated Moses. Actually, if you understand it, Moses was elevated. He lived in Pharaoh's house, but actually dethroned himself and said, I'm going to live in exile. I'm going to live in the backside of the desert. My uh, job, my destiny, my purpose in life is for nothing. And then God elevates him. I'm sorry. I don't know why it just keeps doing that. I thought that I turned everything off. But not enough things. Siri is giving me instructions on how to preach a better message. (laughs) Moses put himself on the sideline. Put himself on the bench, as you would say in a football term. And then God elevated him to be the star striker of Israel. It wasn't his choice. He had humbled himself and then God elevated him. So it's no coincidence then that Joshua was also humble before God. When you consider that Moses was his mentor. In Numbers chapter 12 verse 3, again, I think we've got the scripture on the screen. It said that Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. And humility does come with a cost. Um, James writes in James 4, verses 6 and 8, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He says this, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favours the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Here we see this new power, this idea about this paradoxical nature about how God works. Arthur Burt, a Bible scholar, says it this way. Think about what I'm about to say. God has grace for sin, but none for pride. God has grace for sin, but none for pride. I mean, why would this be? You'd think that God can forgive anything. Yes, he can. But again, he wants to um, promote and put his favor on those that are humble. See, pride is primarily a deceptive thing. It elevates you to a position and perspective where you are ignorant to your own smallness or lowliness by comparison to God. You're living in a false reality if pride is your portion. But of course, nobody here has pride. I mean, I, I, I've got to tell you this is a joke up front because I tried this joke in the first service and it didn't work. So I'm telling you this is a joke that's coming so that at the appropriate time you can respond. See, I mean, someone who 
uh, um, wrestles with humility would write a book that says, How I Became Humble in 10 Easy Steps. <laughs> Thank you for that <laughs> courtesy laugh. <laughs> See, pride is utterly self-focused. It, it removes the reality from your eternity. Pride builds a false and dangerous perspective. Jesus said in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23, hey, don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, the fascinating thing about this scripture, oftentimes people read this or try to comprehend this by saying, okay, I'll just be small. I'll just fly under the radar. I'll actually shrink down and live a so-called humble life. But the irony in this Jesus words here is he has, Jesus has absolutely no problem with the elevation of leadership. Jesus has no problem with um, somebody's exaltation. And we see that with the example of Moses. We see that with the example of Joshua. But the question then remains, well, what is humility? And we all know what pride is. We can all smell it a mile away. Well, see, humility is really a foundational perspective about how we position ourselves before God and within his kingdom. See, Joshua's heart attitude, I mean, that's a preacher's way, words that we would use. I'll use a different language. Joshua's perspective of himself, or dare I say, the way that Joshua saw himself led to unprecedented entrustment and favour from God towards him. That is true humility. Joshua now, the scriptures say in verse 7, that Joshua is now empowered by God to lead the nation into promise. So why would this guy, or what qualifies his humility? See, the idea, I believe, is that is he in it for himself? Oh, absolutely no way. Is he in it on behalf of the people of the nation? Yes. This is the answer or the definition of true humility, where that you would um, be willing to serve other people at your expense. I mean, this picture of Joshua laying down his life and God raising him up is really a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Think about it. Jesus exited heaven, the place everyone's trying to get to. He humbled himself, the scriptures say, to live a life among us, to deal with the pain and the problems and our, our prideful nature and Jesus humbled himself and lived with us. 
He even went another whole step further than what other great prophets had done, where he allowed himself and gave up his self to be nailed and humiliated on a Roman cross. He did that for himself? No. He did it for everyone on planet Earth. So here comes the explanation of the paradox. We all love and the scriptures ask us less of me and more of God, right? And again, that's a beautiful way to live. God, renew me, uh, change me, less of my human nature and I want more of my spiritual nature. And yet as we do this, God then, here's the paradox, requires more of us. What, a, what an interesting situation. As we humble ourselves, therefore he then starts to exalt us and say, I need more of you to lead in your home, to lead in your community, to lead in your school, to lead in your workplace, to lead in your career. I mean... This is not an unusual response and I've wrestled with it myself sometimes. Is that as I think about how do I become humble? How do I facilitate that uh, perspective in my life where I'm concerned more about other people than myself? Is it's a natural human response to actually hide away, to pull back, to shrink back, to make yourself small, to actually live a life where you think, I won't rock the boat, I won't make any waves. And this is the irony to the paradox, as that as you humble yourself, God is asking you to do exactly the opposite to make yourself big, to actually live a big life, to actually have an impact, to actually take on leadership roles and to in, in your school, in your workplace, in your career, this is actually the definition of what humility is, that you'd be willing to lead because leadership always comes at a personal cost. See, false humility, and we've heard that word a few times, is fundamentally preoccupied with your own anxious concerns about yourself. So people shrink back and all they're doing is thinking about, what does he think about me? What does she think about me? I mean, if I step up, well, that means then my gift is going to be compared to their gift. And there I know that my gift is inferior, so I won't even stand up because, again, I don't want to be made a fool of myself, concerned about yourself. The challenge for the gospel, the challenge for, uh, I believe, Christian living is people who are willing to be made a fool of in so many different ways. I mean, I, I demonstrated that a couple of years ago at our gathering conference where I said that I was, had the inability to do a cartwheel and it's been a frustration my whole life and I'm not going to be doing it today just to put it on the record. <laughs> but to help you 
to help and remind myself is about addressing and attacking pride in our lives is we must be willing to be made a fool of. See, false humility is overly dependent on what other people think about you. Yet true humility, let's focus on a much nicer thing, is someone who's servant-hearted, someone who's ready to serve for the good of other people without seeking personal gain. That's why I, I love and celebrate people who, who want to lead a life group. In many cases, I would even qualify myself in the section. I'd go, I don't have the ability to do that. And, you, and, I, and I'm encouraging you, even though that's what your mind might be saying or your spirit might be telling your mind, I'm encouraging you to put that thought to the side and be truly, genuinely humble and say, I'm willing to lead for the sake of these people who need a community of faith. I'm willing to step up on Friday nights, Alyssa, and actually lead a group, 50 or so young people, to say, to point them to the Christian walk. I'm willing to actually step up into the children's ministry and gather these kids, not to entertain them while someone like me gets to preach to you, but to actually to help them develop and understand who they are, the way that God sees them. That's true humility. When people say to me, oh, well, I'm not very good at that, I go, well, you haven't even given it a go yet. In some way, we're talking about false humility when it's those sorts of response. So my challenge to you today is address, and we all have them, so we all qualify, we have areas of pride in our life. Are you big enough, strong enough to actually address them? And the easiest and the quickest and the fastest way to attack pride in your life is serve other people. Look, even if you described yourself today as a spiritual realist, I mean, I don't know about that phrase. I haven't heard it bandied around, but I know that pragmatically some people think like that. Well, humility is the only sane response to an almighty an all-powerful creator. It's just logical in that sense. Why would you think that you've got some head start on God? My second point. Joshua encourages the people in their position around the new promise. In verse 9, he says, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. I mean, what he's doing is calling the nation together around the words of the God. It's nothing's changed from then to now. Here we are, April the 18th, 2021. And here we are all gathered together, worshipping and surrendering our time and our energy and our effort and our worship towards God and our finances, all of these areas, to actually bring honour and glory to him. It was no different for Joshua back then. So whether it's a church service, a life group, or maybe even watching the services online, um, it, this is something that we are called to do as Christians. The exact opposite to that, what the enemy wants you to do is to actually isolate. Do exactly the opposite to gathering is isolation. It's what the enemy intends for every single person. 
Yet God is a community maker. He himself models community by even who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is even in community with himself so that he models to us how we should and desire community. I mean, I just love this thought. Genesis chapter 1, you know the phrase where God says, Adam, where are you? His positioning and posture is all about wanting to have fellowship and community with Adam. Even though he knew Adam had already sinned, he still desired community. I mean, the, we, we spoke about it over Easter, the, the thief that was on the cross when Jesus says to him, when the thief asks, hey, um, will you, can you remember me? And Jesus' reply is, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's again modeling and expressing community. He didn't say, oh, yes, you'll get a two-year membership to the program. He says, you're going to be with me. We get to hang out. See, the enemy is a divider. He enjoys isolating people isolating you from your friends, from your family. I mean, he loves to isolate you from even inside this community of faith. That's why when you have feelings going, oh, they didn't talk to me, you need to actually be humble enough to say that's a prideful thought, maybe I should talk to them. See, where you take the interest in other people rather than you assuming everyone should be interested in me. There's a classic example of pride or humility. My last point, if the worship team could come, that would be great. For every new territory, there's always a new promise. But for every new beginning, there also lies an ending of an old way. In Joshua 3, verses 14 and 17, the scripture's there on the screen. It's the, it's the conversation about how they were to enter and go into the promised land, where, again, Joshua said, hey, the priests are going to go down to the river. They're going to place their feet in the river. Once their feet are in the river while carrying God's presence, the river is going to part its waters and hold up the river stream so that the whole nation can actually travel across that river. See, once they crossed the river, though, there was no turning back. They, they, they couldn't get to the other side and went, well, we've tasted and seen, now we're going to go back. See, once you make a decision for the new, it's a new journey all the way. New land, new battles, new way of living, and of course, new promises. See, think about it from the people of Israel's perspective. The manna from heaven, which they had been receiving for 40 years, was ended. And now the land of promise was rising. As the priest touched the edge of the river with their feet, it so reminds me, I think just such a beautiful, again, uh, picture and a link in the Scriptures where, where it's about the account of the woman who pushes through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. When, then when she touched it, she was instantly healed. In this moment, as they touched the edge of this river, the opportunity for the new promise was made away through the river. 
See, some of you are thinking about the river ahead, but you, you haven't gone all the way up to the edge yet. You, you, you know that there's something that you've got to cross over, but you haven't taken the faith step to really get your feet wet. I mean, she pushed through to get the edge and yet the priests were able to walk freely to get to that edge. I mean, crossing over that Jordan River represents so many decisions that many of us face where the season of manna from heaven is over and now God is leading us in new ways. With God as the direct source of wisdom, strategy, provision, well then we can comfortably all say, where God guides, He provides. Because He can be trusted more than any other source. Again, let, let humility be your portion. What a great way to live, to say, yeah, I'm willing to be embarrassed for the gospel. I'm willing to stand up even though it makes me feel uncomfortable. And in some ways, that's the best way to live because then God can come right in and whoosh, take you to places that you've never been before. New promises. I mean, these promises that I believe God has for us all, no matter what age or stage we're in, they are embedded inside community. You can't access the promises that God has for you while you're in isolation. But it's only in community that they can be revealed to you. I mean, all the extroverts went, oh, that's fantastic. Let's get together more and more and more. And the more in community, then I can see God's promises. All the introverts went, oh my goodness, that's going to be life's work. Maybe. But that's where the promises, that's where the change happens. That's where the, the, the rubbing happens and that's where the Holy Spirit can take you and exalt you and elevate you while you comfortably serve other people. And I believe the last idea and last thought again is you can trust God's promises. You can trust them. You can live on them even though today or maybe yesterday, or maybe tomorrow, they don't look like, how could that ever happen? But my encouragement to you, through the ages, God's promises have come through every single time. Did the priests have doubts that the river would open? Probably. Did the people wonder how that they were gonna cross this flooded river? Probably, but they still did it, but they had to get their feet wet. Are you willing to get your feet wet, church? Are you willing to actually live beyond your own feelings and your own sensations and your own comfort zones and whatever brands that you've put on yourself? Well, I'm just this. Well, I'm too old. I'm too young. I, I, you know, it's just, that's not my gift or my ministry. Are you willing to be, lay all that down and say, God, I'll serve you. I'll be willing to put my head up. I'll be willing to stand up for the sake of your church, for the sake of your kingdom. 
What a great challenge for us as a community of faith today. Hey, why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for you this morning. This new way of living is an amazing way to live. It's what God's destined for every single person. No exceptions. There's not a special club or a special group or a special number. God's grace is available for every single person. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, and no matter where you've come from. It's an amazing journey. It'll be the best decision to become a follower of Jesus you've ever made. I mean, I don't know every person in this building. I don't know what drew you to this service today. I know many people are here because they've come to serve God. But not every single person, I understand. And I want to speak to that this morning. I want to say, hey, you could make that new decision today to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, not a member of a church, but a follower of Jesus I mean, we have a saying, we like to say we become a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus Christ, which means that you've got to be willing to humble yourself and say, my life is not about me. My life is about living for God. That's what becoming a Christian is. And I want to pray for people who want to make that decision today. So, could I ask that everyone would just close their eyes and bow their head really, I suppose, to signify the, the significance of this moment. And I just say to you, look, if that's you today and you're saying, Pastor Mark, yeah, I want to make that decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ with no one looking around, why don't you raise your hand where you are? And I'd love to pray for you this morning. Yeah, I see your hand there, thank you. I see your hand back there, thanks. It'd be a huge honour and privilege to pray for you this morning. A couple people in the last service, already a couple people here today. Don't miss this moment and allow pride to steal you of an amazing journey being a follower of Jesus Christ. So if that's you this morning and you're saying, Pastor Mark, please pray for me. I want to make that decision, become a Christian. Can I just ask you one more time, just raise your hand where you are and I'd love to pray for you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, church, out loud, everyone here together with these people that have just raised their hand, why don't we pray this prayer together? Dear Heavenly Father, I accept you as my Lord and Saviour today. I stop living for myself and I turn and now I'm dedicated my life to live for you. Holy Spirit, fill me today. Guide me, lead me, comfort me. I am now a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen, amen. Let's give these people a hand this morning. Well done.